That's good. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back to the History on the Rocks podcast. This is your host, Cody. And joining me today, my better half, my wife, Audrey. Yes, the better half. <laughs> Hello. If you saw the Facebook post or was it Instagram? Facebook. Facebook. Yes. She made that clear. Um, week one was awesome. Uh, we reached 121 downloads and listens just within the first two days of uh, episode one with George Washington. So that was pretty cool. That was. Um, I was excited to see that. And um, we're going to rock today with um, a new episode in which, obviously, this is more conversational. Because it was cool. I got feedback from a lot of people on Facebook, on Instagram, about what they want to hear um, how they thought the first episode was a lot of positive feedback, um, but people wanted to hear more conversation. And I said that in the posts and early on that we'd be bringing people on this podcast to uh, talk about different historical events that people haven't heard of before and things like that. So this is a more laid back episode. Um, but I will in the future, if I don't have a guest lined up, probably be doing some of my solo episodes again, just depending on the content just so everyone knows what they're in for. But this should be a fun one. Yeah. I, I'm really excited for this. Um, if you've been following on social media, we're going to be doing common phrases, and which are also known as idioms, if you're an English teacher, which I'm not. Thank God for that. <laughs> you wanted you, to be, though. Uh, I was going to say, why do you think, <laughs> why, do you, why do you say that? It's because, yes, my first thing I wanted to do before I was a history teacher or social studies teacher was to be an English teacher. And thank God I did not do that um, because I just call these common phrases. And then online it was like, do you mean idioms? And I was like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. Uh, but again, this is going to be a part one of a three part series. And we're going to release these episodes throughout season one. And I have a bunch of different phrases that are still used today. So I had to break it up, and I think it's going to be fun. should be a good time. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Well, let's get into our first one. Okay. Paint the town red. Okay. There's a country song out right now that we hear on the radio all the time. Do you know which one I'm thinking of? Where she says, instead of painting the town red, she's going to paint the town... Mm -hmm. Blue? Yes, blue. It's always on on, um, the highway that we listen to in the car. I'm gonna paint the town blue. I'm a terrible singer. Okay. Yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> what do you think paint the town red means? I don't know. I think blood. You think blood? I do, yes. So you think it's violent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right, take a second guess. If we're oh, gonna okay. if you and I are gonna go out and paint the town ty- paint the town red, what are we gonna go do? Drink. We're gonna go drink. It's exactly kind of what it means. Because the story <laughs> behind paint the town red is actually pretty funny there's two different places that linguists argue this comes from so the actual meaning is that it means to go out and be wild and reckless okay Hmm. however both of the places that it comes from have to do with alcohol which is fantastic and that's what the show is all about Mm -hmm. so tell me what you're drinking tonight i am drinking um local it is a blue popcorn from Whiskey Acres. Which I drank last week on the podcast. Yeah. I, there wasn't anything up there that 
I wanted to switch it up, but. And how much yeah. of it is left? Probably, I didn't take that much. Um, a, gla- a nice glass worth. <laughs> well, I hope they make it again because it is really good. I'm sure they will. They had a, a good. They had a really good showing for good that. Show, yeah. I waited in the rain for like 45 minutes just to get inside the building for that. Yeah, that, I don't know. It was like crazy to me, but at the same time, not because it's a popular place around here. Yeah. I mean, smaller town, great venue. Yeah. What are you drinking? <laughs> Boring. <laughs> <laughs> Both of our drinks are on the rocks. I'm drinking Jack and Sprite because that's what I um, originally started drinking at the restaurant earlier tonight. So I was like, I think I'm going to just stick with what I got. And plus, our friend Kim Paulson, who has released a novel yeah, called Scoring Off a Rebound, which you can get on Amazon. Very exciting. Um, she left her Sprite here <laughs> last week. <laughs> I'm sure she would be totally fine if you drank it. Okay, well, I am drinking it. So, <laughs> Kim, I know you're going to be listening to this. I used your Sprite to make this drink tonight. <laughs> now you owe her a Sprite. <sighs> Damn it. I'll get her that Sprite. <laughs> it's not that expensive. <laughs> All right, so paint the town red. We're going to get back to that. Sparks heated debates online because after doing some of this research, British, uh, the Brits and Americans constantly are going after this phrase online and where it originates because the story out of Britain makes them look not so good. It's kind of like tarnishing their reputation. And Americans actually like it like, they want the phrase to be here. They don't really like, they're like, whatever. Um, but the original phrase, paint the town red, is mostly accredited to becoming popular in the United States in the early 1880s. So we're talking just after the Civil War, industrial era kind of stuff, but still at the time of cowboys. Yes. Um, the first print of Paint the Town Red was in Kentucky newspapers. Shout out to J-Mo, <laughs> our, our Kentucky guy. And whiskey. He's a big whiskey drinker. We'll have him on the podcast soon. Um, he's really excited. I, I, I'm very nervous to have him on here, to be, honest, <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, no, he's great. It, that'll be a funny episode. Um, but the newspapers in Kentucky refers to cowboys and boys from the country, in quotes, uh, coming into bigger cities, like Louisville, mm-hmm. like Nashville, right, and causing trouble. Because of alcohol. Because of alcohol, <laughs> exactly. They said that cowboys would come drunkenly to these cities, fire their pistols in the air, threatening to paint the town red with blood. See? Yeah, all right. I have so, the right idea. bingo, right back to your blood. Uh, that, was a, that was a good guess. Mm-hmm. You were right on your first and second account. It had to do with blood and alcohol. We'll get to the alcohol story in a minute because that one's kind of funny to me. Um, So, yeah, the red in quotes in the phrase can also refer to bonfires and fireworks that lit up the sky during celebrations like the 4th of July. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Red also means drinking or getting drunk. Back in those days, if someone was red, it meant they were drunk because... It relates to how like people got red in the face, like flush. Yeah, like exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you can like tell their f- their physical um, face color turns red when they're like drunk. So yeah, that used to happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to you when you have allergic reactions to mostly what ciders, ciders, right? Yeah. 
Um, but the second-hand account, the story that the British don't like being attributed to this phrase, I really enjoy it. Um, disclaimer, the use of this phrase has no evidence to link it to this story, but it is said that the story gave inspiration to the phrase becoming popular in the United States. Okay. Um, the story comes out of Melton, Melton Mowbray. So that's a small town um, in the Melton district of Leicestershire, England in 1837. And to be quite honest, I looked up how England lays out their towns. It's like they have um, a small town within a district within a city. Okay. So I guess it's I guess kind of like if we related it here, it's like having a town in a county in a state, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because the British don't have states, obviously. <laughs> 1776. <laughs> um, so 1837. There's a notorious troublemaker named Henry Beresford, who is the Marquis of Waterford, which is a very prominent position. It's it's not a duke, but it's like, I guess in our terms, we would think of that as like, I don't know, maybe like a state representative, mm-hmm. to put it into American terms. Um And he's known as the Mad Marquise. So he goes out with his friends during the day at the horse races, which we love. Yes. Too bad our racetrack shut down. And Chicago Bears were said to be building their stadium there, but I don't know if that's happening anymore. But we used to love going to the horse races Mm -hmm. and betting on the ponies. So they were doing the same thing. And when they were on their way back to Melton, they stopped at the toll house and they were refused entry back into the city because they were too drunk. So, like, I'm guessing a toll house is, like, kind of a check-in point um, as to how I read it. But, like, when I think toll, you have to, like, pay. Yeah, and drinking wouldn't stop it. Maybe you shouldn't be. So, I'm really glad. <laughs> On the tollway when you're drinking. Well, but. <laughs> no, obviously not. But this is 1837, and they're riding horses. Uh-huh. I probably should have mentioned that. But it's funny you said that because they are going to find another way around the town. However... First off, um, they're a bunch of ragged aristocrats. Like, mm-hmm. they're wealthy kids, basically. And um, they ride their horses around the town and enter another way after they were rejected from the toll. Um, they end up at this kind of club called Lord Rokesby's around 3 a.m. And they go back to the toll house after drinking there all night, and they end up boarding up the doors and the windows because they're they're pissed at the, the toll keeper that were like, hey, you can't come in here. You're hammered. And they're like, well, we live here. So they're drunk and they're doing dumb things, right? Yep. That's what happens when you go paint the town red. <laughs> However, the toll keeper gets awoken uh, by this mayhem. He tries to shoot at them. No powder in his pistol. Big no-no today. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> you can't just shoot at people because they're making a ruckus. Nope. Um, however, they stole pots of red paint from the toll keepers. Like, it's I don't think I don't know if it's a booth, but it's like a house where like the toll keeper also lives and like okay. brings people or allows people in and out or not out of the city but back into the city. Yeah. That's what this seems like. Um, so they steal a pot of red paint or a multiple and they begin to throw it on houses along Sherrard Street, which is like one of the main streets in uh, Melton. Uh, they also stole people's door knockers, smashed flower pots, uh, took the Red Line Inn sign and threw it in the canal. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they w- made their way into the town's marketplace, they continued to splash everything possible with red paint. Okay. I mean, makes sense. They painted the town literally red. Literally, they painted it red. <laughs> um, so even when the town watchmen tried to stop them, which sounds like neighborhood watch almost, like yeah. not even a real police force, they covered him in red paint. <laughs> <laughs> so a friend of the uh, the Marquises was taken to jail, <laughs> and this is a really good part in the end of the story, really, which later the Marquise successfully broke him out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> it took 18 months uh, for the trial to come against the Marquise and his friends, uh, which they only had to pay 100 English pounds for the night of mayhem. I mean, it just sounds like, yeah, drunken fools, but too literal. I like the... Alcohol and blood better. With the cowboys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shooting their guns in I the like air. our story better yeah, in the like U.S. Yeah, we like our story better. <laughs> See, it's kind of funny, though, because, like, when I was, re- like, doing research on that one, I was reading all of these, like, people's, like, comments, like, saying, oh, uh, the Marquise story isn't real. Like, that's just Americans uh, using British history in a, a negative way. And there was one guy who was, like, so adamant about it. And he's like, no, 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 it came from Kentucky in the 1880s. It's not a British thing. Like, And I'm, I'm reading the, like, the British version of the story, and I'm like, but they literally painted the town red. So I don't yeah. understand how that doesn't somehow correlate into it. But then again, like, what did I say that year, the year was? It was 1837. So 1880s. Knowing us Americans, we heard that story and, like, just made it our own. Like yeah. we make really good, like we we take other people's stories yeah. and make them like better because we weren't here first. <laughs> All right, so that's paint the town red. That's I like that one. I'm not going to start using it because it sounds very cliche. But and also yeah. we have a baby girl now, so we don't paint the town red too too often. <laughs> no, <laughs> she not, pa- not anymore. She paints her diaper yellow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she does. And sometimes her back. Yep. All right, phrase number two. Running amok. Oh. I don't know, like, where to go with this one. Like, I, I've heard it. I feel like I, I know what Do you want it me means. to put it in context for you in a sentence? Like the spelling bee? Sure. A sentence, please. Those wild kids were running amok. Causing mayhem. Yeah. Kind of like painting the town red, almost. It, it really <laughs> is, but it's it's in a harmless way. So the actual meaning is, like, describing a wild or unruly kind of behavior but ultimately in a harmless way like oh you don't go running amok now you know um this is a really short history um of where this comes from but it's very sinister and we like creepy things yeah we do we do love creepy things um there are a couple episodes i do have in my notebook that have to do with europe one of them is a, a woman serial killer who I definitely want to have you on for because we love mm-hmm. true crime as well. Um, but we do like spooky things yes. and supernatural things. So this innocent definition actually has a historical background coming out of Malaysia. And it's sinister, like I said. Um, the term amok, so A-M-O-K, wasn't used in English until the 16th century. Captain James Cook, an English explorer, 
I think a lot of people learn about James Cook at some point in their education. I was going to say that does sound he's, familiar. He's part of like the Explorer series mm-hmm. when you learn about like, you know, Descartes or Descartes, Descartes, I don't know, the French guy. I can't even think right now, but like Columbus and, you know, all those good explorers. But uh, James Cook is usually in there uh, and he was a naval officer uh, for the British Navy. Um, he was stationed in Malaysia and repeatedly witnessed in his travels to the country, uh, this is around the 1770s, the definition of a muck was to get drunk with opium, sally forth from the house, indiscriminately killing and maiming villagers and animals in a frenzied attack. Hmm. Interesting. So basically, like, you see kind of crazy stories like PCP yeah, with like drugs and stuff. Drugs. Like people will go like go nuts. You could shoot someone on PCP like, you know, and they won't go down. You can unload on them and they won't go down because like their adrenaline rushes so much from the drug and their brain is moving that they will not go down. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly what you said. And they'll just kind of keep going or like people think they can fly. Yeah. That kind of crazy kind of thing. Um, it's, it's like the same thing of getting drunk with opium, which I just put in air quotes, even though people can't see me, but I did it for <laughs> you. I did it for you. Um, because, like, opium... That's s- like an opiate is... Uh, it's a pillar you smoke it. Yeah. Right? Like an opiate? I I don't... I didn't think it was a liquid, but, I mean, I guess... I mean... It could be... It could be... Turned, or it was before? I, I should have done some research on that, of, like, how opium... If, if it does come in liquid form, someone listening to this probably knows for sure. Mm-hmm. Um oh. Definitely. But we're not into drugs, <laughs> we so don't, we, like, don't know we drugs. Don't really don't know how opium. <laughs> uh, we know it as like the the pill form, like opiates. Yeah. Right. Um. So basically, being high on that, as we would put it, going out, starting to kill people and animals, in like a rage. Mm-hmm. However, this is the 1770s, and obviously, the logic that we have today is not the same in the 1770s. This is contributed to the homicidal chaos. So this committing of the killings is believed to be produced by the possession of Hantu Belian, who is an evil tiger spirit that takes over the person, basically possesses them and compels them to commit these crimes. And now in the end of these like killing sprees, again, I just put that in air quotes, but people can't see me either this person who was high on the opiates or drunk on the opiates, how James Cook puts it, were killed by bystanders or committed suicide. Hmm. I looked everywhere for how running amok became such an innocent. Yeah, I was <laughs> kind like, of wait, phrase. I thought it was innocent exactly. and just kind of having fun, but that doesn't sound exactly. innocent or harmless. Fun or harmless, yeah. Right. It doesn't sound harmless at all. Um, so when I was reading this, I kind of was laughing to myself. Because I was like, um, this says wildly or unruly behavior, but ultimately harmless, in which we're contributing these actions in the 1770s to a um, tiger spirit, an evil tiger spirit. And killing sprays. And like, it's like being, it's like how people are possessed, like they say they're possessed mm-hmm. by the devil and, and yeah. like do Bad violent things. stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I just thought that was kind of wild. But that's running amok. Okay. Like I said, short definition. Totally different <laughs> from the backstory <laughs> of it. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> All right. Our third idiom 
I'm using idiom now. Like, I <laughs> knew what that word was. Fancy. Like, uh, again, our third common phrase is the third degree. Oh. Think about third degree. Um. Well, isn't it like, like you're like shunning somebody? Like, I'm giving you the third degree. I'm not going to talk to you or I'm not going to... Um. Yeah, like acknowledge. It's actually you. the opposite of what you just said. Oh. So the third degree describes a rigorous, thorough, or even ruthless interrogation. Oh. So basically, what we would call in American slang, getting grilled by someone. Yeah. Okay. Like think about high school when your mother would grill you about where you were, what you were doing. She didn't because you snuck out of the house, and she quote unquote never knew. I guess I got away with it. Yeah, I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently my mom knew every time I left because I left through the basement and I would always move the thing up under that was, um, you remember on the side of our house, it was like a flower pot thing. And I used, I, I would take that off the fire escape and I would leave through the basement. But my yeah. mom claims that she knew I left, which again, like your mom, I don't think she knew that. No, I don't think she knew either. No. I, I would have been in so much trouble, but I mean, I would have gotten the third degree. <laughs> Nailed it. You used that absolutely perfectly. Um, so this is a uh, this is a short one too. Um, term comes from malpractice of police officers during their interrogations dating back to the early 1900s. Okay. So um, the definition of the third degree is stated as quote unquote uh, methods that inflict suffering, physical or mental, upon a person in order to obtain from that person information about a crime. Oh, it's like um, I'm pretty sure I said quote unquote yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> it's like um Chicago PD. Um what's his face? They put them like in the cage and they Oh, go yeah, at exactly. Them. Exactly. Yeah. Why can we both not think of him his character's name right now? I don't know. Is it Hank? Yeah, it's, it, his first name's Hank. Yeah. I'm Saunders would have to help me on this one, but someone is listening to this right now <laughs> and screaming. Voight. Voight, yes. There we go. There yeah, we go. I, I was it. like, I'm thinking in my head. Hank Voight, yes. Exactly. So what Hank Voight mm-hmm. does in Chicago PD, throwing him in the cage, screaming at him, going in there, threatening him, yep. right? To get them to flip. Exactly. Um so many people believe that this idiom comes from the Freemasons, though. Do you know much about the Freemasons? I mean, I know I've heard the term before but i you would have to refresh yeah so like the freemasons and like the illuminati kind of go hand in hand there's like 33 levels of membership uh and it's a secret society um a lot of our founding fathers are uh the conspiracy is that they were a bunch of them were freemasons and there's you know more to this world than like normal folks like you and i and our listeners here uh, no, and the and the Freemasons are kind of like part of that. Okay. Um, but it's said that the Freemasons, their third degree is the final and most difficult test one has to pass to become a full member of the Freemasons. Um, some also refer to the term to the legal code of types of charges in the United States justice system. So like first, second, and third degree murder. So like if you're getting yeah. the third degree, someone's just questioning you hard, um, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple theories there, but uh, I know definitely through the research on this one that uh, the malpractice of police officers is where this started. Of the third, giving you the third degree means I'm questioning you uh, very intensely. Yeah. 
which is a great segue into next week's episode, <laughs> The Interrogator. Um, tune in for that one. That's exciting. Uh, we call him the nice Nazi. Nice in quotes. Um, because who knows a real nice Nazi, right? But we're going to be talking about World War II, and this just kind of ties in with it with the interrogation. Mm-hmm. Um, a man named Hans Scharf, who actually helped the FBI to kind of redo their interrogation tactics. Um, I'm going to keep that one a little bit of a secret, though. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm, I'm excited that, about that one. That one's real. I'm really excited. I'm going to read that book in like three days, um, even though I've already started research online. But I think that book's really going to be uh, awesome for next week's episode. Um, so we're going to hold the cards close to the chest on that one. But just want to, you know, this is like my own little Sneak ad. Peek. It's like an ad inside my own little podcast. <laughs> yes. All right. Number four. This is probably the shortest history ever, but okay. you're going to definitely know, I think, what this one is. Barking up the wrong tree. It's just somewhere you don't want to go. What is What happens if I say to you, you're barking up the wrong tree? Don't butt in. Don't bother. You don't want to do it. Yeah. Or, like, you're making the wrong choice. Yeah. Like... This kind of goes with the past one, like you're like the third degree, right? Like if you're giving me the third degree, I'm like, oh, you're barking up the wrong tree. It's not me. Like I don't have anything to do with this. You're you're blaming the wrong person. You're asking the wrong person. You're following the wrong course of action. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. Um, this is a literal idiom. <laughs> this is literal. Um, Oakley and Chandler. Yeah. They bark up the wrong tree all the time. Well, they think they can climb it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Actually, they bark up the right tree a lot because those squirrels <laughs> and those raccoons are they're fast. Um, but the literal meaning of this uh, barking up the wrong tree comes from the 1800s when it was popular for hunters to hunt with packs of dogs. Mm-hmm. And animals like raccoons would trick dogs into making them think that they were in the, a specific tree. And that mm-hmm. dog was literally barking up the wrong tree to get them out. <laughs> like, nope, not that one. I'm, I'm trying to create, like, you know, these, um, I'm, I'm using AI. Like, I'm just going to be honest to the listeners. I'm using AI f- graphics to, like, make a lot of the front cover art for these episodes. I mean, it like, kind of looks a little bit obvious with <laughs> this whole AI thing, but. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the George Washington holding the whiskey glass is I mean, pretty it's, cool. It's cool. But you can tell it's AI. Yeah, you can tell it's AI. Uh, well, obviously. I mean, <laughs> it looks like an anime <laughs> character. Yes. Um. But so when I put in barking up the wrong tree, I tried it in so many different kind of styles that every time it would just draw a tree with a dog's like nose. It was and the neck was like the um the, the trunk, trunk of the, of the tree. tree. Yeah, thank you. It was just so weird. <laughs> I I just picture Chandler and Oakley barking, barking up, up the tree. The tree, our tree in our backyard. <laughs> the raccoons aren't tricking them. They're actually up there. But they just wait for them to come inside and then they leave. Yeah, well, there's no other tree for them to go to, in our yard at least. Number five. All right. Raining cats and dogs. Well, it's raining really hard. Exactly. <laughs> it's raining very <laughs> heavily. However, this one isn't as simple when it comes down to the history. The first recorded use of the phrase similar to raining cats and dogs was in 1651, the collection of poems... Olor Iscanus. British poet Henry Vaughan referred to a roof that was secure against dogs and cats rained in shower. What? 
That's what she. That's how she says it every time I say something. That she, she's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. So the the uh, the poet writes it as, "quote Dogs and cats rained in shower." Unquote. Hmm. So like, it's talking about a roof that pretty much covers the animals from being rained, rained on. on yeah. I think when I did a little bit more research on this, in Britain they used to have a roof kind of over a terrace. That, mm-hmm. like, the dogs and cats would, like, lay on that terrace and be covered and, like, they'd be... Protected. Protect- yeah, exactly. Protected from the heavy rains. There was also a description, and people said this wasn't a thing, but that dogs and cats in Britain would, ha- like, somehow get on the roofs of these houses and they would roll or fall off. Well, I mean... Onto the street. Makes sense. It's not necessarily And so it was literally raining cats and dogs because they would roll off. (laughs) And I'm thinking, like, our dogs are dumb enough that they would do something like that if they were on a roof. Yeah. I could see Chandler wanting to jump off. (laughs) By the way, if you don't know our dogs, we have a black lab and a rat terrier chihuahua mix. Our black lab's, like, 55 pounds. He's like an athletic American lab. Yeah. Black lab. And our rat terrier chihuahua is about 22 pounds, and he thinks he's tougher than he is. Yeah. But he's also a big baby. He, yeah, he's also a big scaredy cat. He's more of a cat than a dog. <laughs> he is. He's raining both cats and dogs. Yes. But he also doesn't like the rain, so. No, he hates the rain. In 1738, so this is almost 100 years later. So we were talking about the poem in 1651. Mm-hmm. In 1738, Jonathan Swift published his, quote, uh, complete collection of genteel and ingenuous conversation, unquote, which is a satire on conversations of the upper class in, okay. in Britain. So basically making fun of the upper class and their... Hoity-toity. Pinky out. I'm drinking my tea. Drink my tea. Yeah, exactly. So in this, one of his characters fears that it will rain cats and dogs. So this is the first time in written literature that rain cats and dogs in 1738 is actually used as an idiom or a phrase. Yeah. Now, instead of raining cats and dogs, some have described heavy rains as raining pitchforks or raining stair rods. Well, that would hurt. Exactly. So it's ex- it's there to explain the hurtful, like how it, it hurts when it downpours with heavy winds, mm-hmm. as it does in Britain or England. It rains a lot. Very often. I wish we were kind of done with this one, but there's four different theories to raining cats and dogs. Oh my gosh. The okay. first one comes from Viking mythology and the Norse gods with Odin mm-hmm. in Norse mythology, right? He's often pictured with dogs and wolves and... Those are symbols of wind because Odin is, it's kind of like Odin is Zeus. Like if you look at mythology, lightning bolts, heavy rains, like God of Thunder kind of thing. Okay. Witches who supposedly rode their brooms during storms were often pictured with black cats, which became signs of heavy rain for sailors. Therefore, raining cats and dogs may refer to a storm with wind being the dogs and heavy rain being the cats. Hmm. Okay. So that's Norse mythology. It's interesting. Having to do with the Viking god Odin and how dogs represent the wind, cats represent the heavy rain. This one's kind of interesting going all the way back to Greece. Cats and dogs may come from the Greek expression katadoxa, which means 
contrary to experience or belief. If it is raining cats and dogs, it is raining unusually or unbelievably hard. Pretty literal. Makes sense. Third theory. Cats and dogs may be a perversion of the now obsolete word catadupe. In Old English, catadupe meant a cataract or waterfall. A version of a catadupe existed in many old languages. In Latin, for example, catadupe was borrowed from a classical Greek word. I have it here in the script written as Greek, but I cannot pronounce it because, as you can see, it's written in... Oh, yeah. yeah. No, not going to happen. If, if you look at it, it looks like catadove or something like that. However, this refers to the cataracts of the Nile River. So to say it's raining cats and dogs might be to say that it's raining waterfalls. So again, heavy rain, mm -hmm. right? Standing yep. over a waterfall kind of hurts. Yep. Heavy rain. Number six, bite the bullet. Just do it. Yeah, right? Like Nike. Yeah, just like Nike. Oh, my God. Can I get an ad sponsorship by Nike for that? <laughs> please. <laughs> we'll take two million, please. <laughs> the meaning of bite the bullet, get something imminent done that is unpleasurable or you're not looking forward to, mm -hmm. right? Just got to bite the bullet. This one is kind of gruesome, okay. but I also really like it because it has to do with war. And you know I'm a sucker for war. Yes, you are. My favorite theory, I'm going to say last, but there's two theories to this. Okay. Um, the first theory comes from the height of the British Empire. So when the colonies were around still, the American colonies were around, um, there was a new type of rifle uh, that was designed for soldiers. In order to load the rifle, soldiers had to bite the paper, which was greased over with animal fat, to pour the powder down the barrel to load it. Mm-hmm. Now, where the meaning of the phrase comes into this theory is that the, the Sepoy Indians, who were part of the British military, were not allowed to eat meat or fat from animals due to their sacred religion mm -hmm. of animalism and uh, indigenous religion. Therefore, they had to, quote-unquote, literally bite the bullet in order to use this rifle. However, it's not likely to be attributed to this theory since this occurred in 1857, and the phrase was already commonly used by then. Okay. But it is interesting because, yeah, like, it makes sense. you're forcing the Native Americans to literally bite the fat of an animal, which they can't even put in their mouth. Yeah, because they don't eat that. Exactly. Now, the most accurate theory that I found, this is a gory one, but it has to go, it goes back to the late 1700s and 1800s, um, battlefield surgeries. They had to be carried out immediately, right? Oh, yeah, and you want to bite on something for the pain. There's no modern-day medicine, right? Mm -hmm. No advanced procedures for amputations. Yep. So you have to save as many lives as possible in a very limited amount of time, right? People are bleeding out, so it's time-sensitive. In the medical tents in battlefields, they would put a lead bullet in the soldier's mouth, tell him to bite down on it. Bite down. Bite down. <laughs> I, I had to. Yeah, I know. That, is, that was a, that was like perfect. <laughs> like, I'm glad you said it, so I didn't have to like go see if that was like a copyrighted thing. <laughs> For my college. Grace. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Shout out to the quad. Yep. So yeah, you put the bullet in the per in the soldier's mouth, then immediately amputate whatever body part that they needed to in order to survive. Right, mm -hmm. necessary, necessary for survival. So biting down on the bullet was supposed to distract the patient as their limb was cut off. I'm guessing it was not a big distraction. 
not enough. No, definitely not. <laughs> that sounds still good. It's still gonna hurt sounds, regardless. Sounds awful. Number seven. Everyone knows this one. Riding shotgun. You are sitting in the front seat. You're sitting in the front seat. Shotgun rider. Yeah. So riding in the front passenger seat of a car, or it also means to guard something or someone while in transit. Back in the old west during the stagecoach era. Many drivers hired armed guards to protect them while on their journeys. Mm-hmm. We're big Western fans. We uh, we like the uh, era. era and uh, all the facade of that. Um, so at the time, obviously the roads in the West, obviously not painted, not good. Uh, mostly being bumpy trails that stagecoaches just kept driving over to kind of make a road out of. Uh, wild animal attacks were common. Uh, never knew when Jesse James and his crew were going to ride up and steal your riches. <laughs> I added that, by the way, because I had to throw Jesse James. When we're talking about the Wild West, I got to throw Jesse James in there. Yep. Um, great outlaw. Maybe I should find something about him that's uncommon and do an episode on Jesse Ooh, James. Yeah, that would That'd be. be fun. So, armed guards carried shotguns, which obviously a shotgun makes it easy to hit your target, especially moving because it sprays some type of pellet, mm-hmm. unless it's a slug, but still... It does a lot of damage. Yep. However, there is no evidence that the term riding shotgun was used in the Wild West. But it's inspired by the Wild West. Yeah. I mean, I could see that it it probably wasn't said, but it totally makes makes sense that you have your shotgun rider watching out for you. Exactly. And that's the whole point is that they're supposed to be your protectorate and they were hired guns. Like it wasn't necessarily your friend that you asked to ride with you with a shotgun. These people were hired kind of like today, like the armed trucks that go to the banks and and businesses and pick up money like Brinks, right? They have an extra guy in there who is literally protecting them and has a weapon on them as they drive so that they don't get robbed. This is the same exact thing. And obviously that comes from the same type of safety. It wasn't until 1919 that this term was first used in the Ogden Examiner newspaper, which was a Utah newspaper. Um, Then, of course, Hollywood gets a hold of this phrase and uh, was made popular in the film Stagecoach, featuring the one and only... I don't know. John Wayne. Oh. I thought you were going to say Clint Eastwood. Oh. No. I... I didn't know at all. <laughs> I didn't know where I would go with that one. I, I thought you might have said Clint Eastwood there. But yeah, John Wayne starred in Stagecoach, and uh, that's when this phrase was uh, made popular by Hollywood. Um, and then in 1954, there's a movie literally called Riding Shotgun starring Randolph Scott that was about a shotgun writer. Uh, he is, uh, Randolph Scott plays um, the hired gun writing in that position. So it evolved through pop culture. It, yeah. it evolved through American uh, pop culture in the early There's 1900s. country songs about it. Yeah. I mean, Tim McGraw, you know, shotgun writer. That's that's a little bit more romantic, though. Yeah. And now it's not even like shotgun writer. It's passenger princess. Passenger princess. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but it still has roots in the Wild West. I mean, it's definitely inspired by the real events of the Wild West, but was never used in the Wild West. This was an interesting fact, though. 
After the 9-11 attacks in 2001, where we were 10 years old, sitting in our fifth grade hallways in the morning when that was announced. I was getting on the school bus. I was That's right. Because you were, we started you were on the north side of Palatine, where we, on the south side of Palatine, got bussed first, and then the buses came to you. So yes. we were in school earlier. But the term riding shotgun came full circle when media outlets started to refer to air marshals on board flights as riding shotgun, protecting oh, pilots I've and passengers. i yeah, I really didn't know that either. Um, it was interesting. I saw that during the research process of this, which makes sense. Are they still on planes? You'll never know. Unless an air marshal makes themselves known, you'll never know because they dress like a regular passenger, uh, but they are there to protect the flight. And honestly, that's a, that's a good conversation to have too is because like with terrorism these days, that's a one and done. I you're not really, really hope You're so. not going to get a... There's no part of my mind that believes that anyone's going to get away with hijacking planes like that ever again and causing... Well, with all the security that yeah. they have at airports now that weren't, it didn't used to be that Yeah, ex- exactly. That. I mean, it's just... But yeah, I've never, like, I mean, I've gone on so many flights. I never, I didn't know that that was a thing. Right. And now we have TSA pre-check with Kennedy, and it's great. We just walk right through. It's wonderful. Should have gotten that a long time ago, but it's fine. Number eight, show your true colors. I oh, So, I mean, I it's kind of like hard to explain what I'm feeling about this one, but I feel like it, it can be positive. It could be, but it's more like negative. You're showing your true colors and it's not great. Right. Just in general, it's to show one's true intentions or personality. Like you said, it, it can be negative or positive. Usually, it's used in a negative context. Yeah, like, oh, you're really showing your true colors now. <laughs> exactly. Um, but you can say it in a positive context. Yeah. Like, oh, man, it's great you're showing your true colors, you know? Being you. Being you. Be yourself. Uh, that's great. But, yeah, like, it's usually like, hmm, they're really showing their true colors right now. Yeah. You're seeing the negative side of somebody now. Yeah. When you, like, m- might have only seen the positive. A hundred percent. This is another idiom. <laughs> I feel so fancy saying an actual term instead of common phrase. I just think like idiot when I hear idiom. Okay. So that it's really <laughs> funny you said that because when I put um, this on social media, um, Nico mm-hmm. messaged me on Instagram and said, you're an idiom. And I literally responded, it's better than being an idiot. <laughs> I was literally thinking the same thing. Nice. So, this is a common phrase, though, that is literal, dating back to the 1700s. It comes from the nautical world, in which flags of nations would fly from the ship that they were from, right? So, mm-hmm. back when we watch, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> episode four, already doing research on nice. the Chinese Pirate Queen. Stay tuned in a few weeks for that. That's a good one. I'm really excited for that one. Another in-podcast ad. Yeah. I got to promote myself. No one else is doing it for me. (laughs) However, right, those flags were flown so that you can identify the ship, what country they were from. So, you know. They are true. Right. Like British flag, American flag, um, Spanish flag, Italian flag. um, Always flying so you knew if they were friend and foe, who to stay away from, whatnot. Mm. However, pirates flew under false flags in which they would sail close enough to a vessel, mm-hmm. and that vessel would think that they were 
maybe friendly because they were just flying a you know a country's flag the colors exactly. They thought they were safe, like hey, just another ship passing by. Let's all wave. Mm-hmm. However, the pirates would have them in their grasp, and then they would carry out their mayhem, board the ship, do whatever they do, right? Loot, kill, all those pirate things. Um, and it wasn't until after those deeds were done that then they would take down the false flag and throw their pirate flag up. Mm-hmm. There are true colors. So it is negative in w- the history of where it comes from. Yeah. Um. So it's it's basically manipulating. Yep. God, I'm so excited for that fourth episode and talking about Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean. I can't even think. I, I'm so excited about it. Um. But yeah, showing your true colors. Yeah. Dawned by pirates. I like that we one. We love pirates. It's a great film franchise up until like the fourth one. Once a pirate, always Once a pirate. Once a pirate, always a pirate. PHS. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's where Audrey went to high school. Palatine <laughs> Pirates. All right. What's next? This one, our friend Sean from Pingree Grove was very excited about. He texted me about this the other day because he saw that we were doing Common Phrase, and he's like, man, I hope the whole nine yards is on there because I really like where the most popular places like this comes from. And we're gonna. this oh. is very controversial meaning. Of okay. where it comes from. There's, I have six listed here of the possibilities of where the whole nine yards comes from. Oh my. So if I said, I gave him the whole nine yards. Everything. Exactly. To give everything, to do everything. You yeah. gave everything you got, the whole nine yards. The whole nine yards. This one is the most mysterious and controversial idioms in linguistic history. Like, it's argued by linguists online of where this actually comes from. But there is a, a, a very popular place that it comes from, which is mm-hmm. Sean's favorite and my favorite. Because I, I told him, I was. he said, like, hey, this is where it comes from. And I was like, dude, like, that's my favorite, too. But I got to tell you, on the podcast, there's, like, five other ones that I have listed of where people argue this comes from. So, here we go. In 1982, William Sapphire... He's an American author and columnist. I believe that the phrase alluded to cement trucks, which hold nine cubic yards. So if you gave them the whole nine yards, you would have unloaded all. The whole load. Yeah, you would have unloaded all of the cement. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's too simple. Yeah, literal. Yeah, it's literal and it's 1982. Yeah, that's not long ago. No, it's 42 years ago. Like that's... it goes back further than that. Is okay. That is where I was arguing. All right. The next theory dates back to the square rigger ships. So these are the big ships in like old paintings that you see that have three masts. Like a sailboat. But like the pirate ships almost. Yeah, or yeah. like, okay. yeah, the naval ships, like the big ones. Okay. Each had three yards supporting the sails. So the whole nine yards meant that the sails were fully set. Okay. So they were like full wind. You yeah. know what I mean? Like at, at full pace. So if you added those, obviously, three masts by three yards, you have nine yards and the sails yeah. are set. Okay. I like that one. Like, uh, literal, but yeah. I think you're going to like the third one too. The length of a queen's bridal train oh. is nine yards. I wonder how long mine was. It was long. Probably not nine yards. Not nine yards, no. Nine yards is like here to the stairs. And I know no one can see this, but you can see. Yeah, no, like it's from me to the stairs. That's nine yards. Three feet is a yard. Yeah, correct. You're talking about 27 27 feet. feet. Oh, yeah, no. 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 (laughs) I did not. No, you did not have that long of a dress. Man, I'm not a queen. That's okay. You're mine. Oh, oh, thanks. 
documented on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Brownie points. All right. So, like I said, like football, 10 yards, mm-hmm. first down. Yep. Also referred to as a fourth down play in American football. So, like, you went the whole nine yards. Now you got to get the extra one. But you gave it your all. So, like, if you think of a running back, give the ball to the running back for three plays and he makes it nine yards. He gave everything that he had. Fourth and one. Fourth and one. The whole nine yards. Yeah, you need one more to get nine. the first yeah. down, though. That that one, I was kind of like, wouldn't you just say that it's, like, the whole ten yards? Yeah, because like, you didn't, that I would mean, make you it, got the nine yards, but, like, you're not there yet. Yeah, exactly. Like, you're not, it wasn't you're successful. You're short. Number five, in the American South, the phrase is actually said to be the whole six yards, and it's still said like that to this day. So if you went to the American South and you were to be like, oh, I gave it the whole nine yards, they'd be like, you mean the whole six yards? Huh. I've never heard that, but don't live in the South. Exactly. But it's really funny because I couldn't find online where they got the whole six yards from. The only thing I did find was that grandmothers used six yards of yarn to make, like, blankets Mm -hmm. and clothing and sweaters and stuff like that. Okay. But that was, like, it wasn't very, like, decisive about where it came from. That's the whole six yards. But It doesn't, like, roll off the tongue like the whole nine yards does. Right. But I think it's because the whole nine yards is, like, that's what we know the phrase as. So if you heard the whole six yards, you look at someone and be like... Are you, are you saying it wrong? <laughs> oh, man. Nate Bergazzi <laughs> is one of the best comedians I have ever seen, and that's why Audrey's laughing so hard. If you ever have a chance to watch his Netflix specials, oh, it's so, it's go so check good. out Nate Bergazzi. I hope one day he listens to this episode, <laughs> and he's going to be like, they're saying it wrong. <laughs> If you guys watch his Netflix special, you'll understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So number six is the one that Sean and I were saying are our favorites. And it's also online the most talked about of the originality of where this phrase came from. Mm-hmm. It's the length of a machine gun ammo belt on an American fighter plane in World War Two. Oh. The whole nine yards. So when a fighter pilot ran out of ammo, they would radio in, I gave him the whole nine yards. I feel like that just makes the most sense. I don't care if it makes the most <laughs> sense. It's the <laughs> most badass sense. Yeah. Very true. I know that like people like history for different reasons. Mm-hmm. But like me, I am a war person through and through. Like yes. I don't care if it's a civil war. I don't care if it's World War One, World War Two. Like obviously I'm a big American war quote unquote person and I love studying those. Mm-hmm. But for a fighter pilot to be like, gave him the whole nine yards. Yep. Hopefully it went down. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> Damn Nazis. <laughs> now I'll have my Nazi scalps. <laughs> Glorious Bastards. Another great movie. Oh, this is the German that's three. The German yeah. three. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's that's my mother. She does she does the German three. I, my mom's from Germany, and sh- sh- you hold up your thumb, your pointer finger, and your middle finger to make the three in German. But then it's so much harder to do four and five. It, it, like five's easy, but like f- well, well, to get to to get to five. And I totally agree because like one, two, three is easy to do, right? Like thumb, pointer, middle finger, and keep your pinky and ring finger down. And then this ring finger. And then your ring just... finger doesn't go up, and it makes your <laughs> pinky pop up. 
Yeah. Uh, but then, like, it's five is five. It's, like, your whole hand, obviously, because you only have five digits. <laughs> you would hope. You hope you weren't born with six. Some people are. I don't know any of those people. Nope. Nope. Not a one. Nope, not one. Not a single soul that do I know <laughs> has six digits anywhere on their body, <laughs> fingers or toes. Uh. <laughs> so, on to our last common phrase. All right. I'm ready of for it. Of this part oh, one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got more. We got at least 20 more because I've oh already got part two and part three. That's a lot. I don't have the research done, but I do have the phrases that we're going to do on those. Nice. Number 10, turn a blind eye. You are going to look away. Exactly. You're going to purposely. I didn't see that. Purposefully ignore something or pretend not to see it. Mm -hmm. And this is History on the Rocks podcast. And I'm very excited to share the history on this one. Because the person that this phrase comes from has an alcohol named after them. Oh. Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson. Admiral Nelson. Oh, man, Michelle. That was her college drink. (laughs) Admiral Nelson rum. Cheap rum. Yep. So we're going to get to that in a second at the end of this uh, historical part of it. But Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson of the British Navy is described as a natural-born leader and a remarkable strategist who sailed in front of his battles. So always at the forefront. Mm -hmm. And like a vice admiral is like being the vice president of the Navy. Like you are. You're up there. You're up there. Um, But he was not afraid to sail at the front of these battles. On October 2nd, 1801, the Battle of Copenhagen, raging on between the British and the joint navies of the Danish and Norwegians. The commander of the British Navy at the time was Admiral Sir Hyde Parker. He was undoubtedly more cautious than Vice Admiral Nelson was. So he is looking at his ships, and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. Yeah. He notices that after hours of firing upon that joint navy of the Danish and Norwegians that the British were taking so many losses, and they were making no progress in battle. So Admiral Parker was worried that Nelson, being who Nelson was, would not retreat without permission, so he was using flag signals to give Nelson the order to retreat. So he was afraid. Like, he was afraid if he did not give Nelson the direct order to retreat, that Nelson would, like, just keep going, and he would, like, they would lose this battle. Mm -hmm. Because he wasn't afraid. Exactly. However, Horatio Nelson was blind in one eye from a previous battle. Oh, so he couldn't see. He never actually used the term turn a blind eye. Instead, what he actually said when the signal was given to him was, quote, I have only one eye and I have the right to be blind sometimes. I really do not see that signal, unquote, when he held the telescope up to his blind eye. Mm. So this is his stubbornness. Yeah. That we were talking about earlier. He purposefully ignored the signal and continued to fight. The British were victorious as he led the rest of the ships into battle. And for his efforts in this Battle of Copenhagen, he was awarded with the command of the whole British naval fleet. Wow. All because he turned a blind eye. He turned his blind eye. I have only one eye, and I have a right to be blind sometimes. So that was him saying, I see the signal, 
but I'm not going to acknowledge it. See, and like what I thought is like he might not have been able to see it. Like if it was like in his peripheral, like on that side, he can't see. So he purposefully looked through his telescope, not in his good eye, but his blind eye. So he could say this quote. Like, I really, I really, I have the right to be blind in this eye and I don't see the signal because I'm looking through my blind eye Mm -hmm. because I want to fight and I know I can win. Yeah. And he did. And he was awarded handsomely. So, like we said, the story got better, but we kind of spoiled it at the beginning because of Michelle and her love for Admiral Nelson Rum. Well, I mean, she did for a period of time. Back in the college days. Yeah. Yeah. It was cheap. And I don't. I don't remember it being bad. Haven't had it since. She's a but. she's a responsible educator like ourselves and mother of and two. Mother, yeah. Admiral Nelson days are over. Admiral Nelson Rum is named after Admiral Horatio Nelson. Huh. The inspiration behind the name, however, comes from his death at the Battle of Trafalgar, which was in 1805. So uh, four years after this um, turn a blind eye mm-hmm. situation against um, the Danish and Norwegians. This is kind of interesting. When he died, the crew preserved his body in a cask of spirits. And when he was returned back to Britain, they drilled holes in the barrel to drain the liquid. So that's why the alcohol company, that's why Admiral Nelson Rum named it after him because of this story that after his death, he, his body was preserved in a cask, in a cask of spirits in alcohol. Because apparently on the outside, alcohol preserves your body, but when you put it on the inside, it deteriorates your body. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that doesn't make sense. It it makes sense, but it's just not fair. No, it's not fair. (laughs) Um, So yeah, he was brought back to England, and then they drilled the holes into the barrel of the spirits that his body was preserved in and drained it so that he could have a proper burial as... Uh, the admiral of the British. So Navy. that's like the formaldehyde before formaldehyde was yeah a thing. But like formaldehyde's a chemical, and the Egyptians have been like mummified. I don't think they mummify people anymore, obviously. But back in ancient Egypt, they were mummifying people with you know this with biles and stuff like that. Um, so um. like. I think formaldehyde is just a modern-day chemical to do the same kind of thing, to preserve someone's body at least until you can get them into the ground or cremated, whatever your choice is. Whichever, Um, But, like, if you go to a wake, like, they use formaldehyde to make the body still look like it's normal. You just shook your... Shook your head in disgust. Which is funny, because when you go to a wake, no one ever looks like the same person. Some people look better than others, but yeah, I don't like it. But that's, yeah, I like those. I'm excited for the other ones. Yeah, part two and part three. uh, There's a lot of good uh, phrases that we have. I just kept going through like online lists of like common phrases, idioms, whatever we're going to call them right now. (laughs) Not trying to be too fancy. Seems like idioms is the word, but <laughs> um, but I found a lot more, and we have at least ten for epi- or part two of this series. Yeah, so we have ten for part two, and then we'll have I think there's ten or eleven for part three, 
And who knows? We might have a part four or five because there's so many. I'm like trying to think of like common phrases that like. Cat got your tongue. Yeah, I keep thinking about that one and I can't wait to say like what I think about. (laughs) But that's for another time. Well, did you have fun? I did. This was awesome. It is nice to talk to someone other than myself the whole time during a podcast. Because I'm not going to lie. It's hard to make a podcast. This whole conversation we had rolled really good because we talked, obviously. We've been together for like 11 years, about to be married for five. (laughs) So like talking's easy. But like when you have to do a a podcast by yourself, like it was 15 minutes last week. And I was like, people were telling me, they're like, that doesn't even sound like you. And I was like, yeah, I, I like I listened to it and I was like, it was so formal and like yeah. that's not me at all. Yeah, it didn't like roll. Yeah, off the like, tongue. Like it worked. Yeah, it like worked. The, a it, conversation like, does. Whatever. Oh yeah, of course. And it th- did. there's it gonna good. be some episodes like that where like I don't have a guest and there's just something I'm gonna do by myself. But like, but it won't be at this length to where it's actually entertaining to like just talk about things. So I I did enjoy this a lot. This was this was fun. I think we need to figure out though something to video because I have a lot of great shirts that I can wear that relate to either like you know on the rocks or I have some good you know history shirts. Yeah, me so. too. Oh yeah, you have enough for every day of the year. I think I'm not allowed to wear a few of them in public. Oh, probably not. But next week. I don't know. Maybe you'll do next week with me, too. Next week is the interrogator. I won't have time for that book, but... I'll just fill you in on the details. If I if I can't get someone... That one needs to be an at-length podcast, though. It can't be like a 15-minuter. No, that one has so much information on it. It couldn't be 15 minutes. Like, George Washington's distillery was easy because yeah. it's like, here's the information, and you probably didn't know he had a distillery that still exists today. Next week is going to be, like, very informational, and if you're a big fan of World War II... This is something that you, like, probably never heard of. And it also carries over to the United States and our current justice system with the FBI. Especially now with how our our world is. Oh, yeah. Especially after 9-11 and how interrogations, like we know, with the waterboarding scandals and stuff like that. This one's interesting because next week's episode is the, quote, nice, unquote, Nazi the interrogator Han Scharf looking forward to it yep all right well thank you all again for supporting please go like share follow support download whatever other verbs have to do (laughs) with promoting this podcast even though I promoted my own podcast about three times throughout Uh, we hope you enjoy your weekend yes thanks for having me this was fun yeah this was awesome I mean you'll be you'll be back I will I will be back Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going anywhere, so yeah. I'll be back. <laughs> this ring weighs my hand down. <laughs> okay. No, it was a lot of fun. Um, so, you guys enjoy your weekend. Uh, tune in next Thursday again for the interrogator, the nice Nazi. Anything else? Nope. Kennedy, what did you think of Mommy and Daddy's podcast? <laughs> All right, y'all. Cheers. Cheers.